I know that this is going to sound really flaky, but it's just, it's just one of the, the very elegant ways in which the Lord works and blesses and aligns things. The day that I left to come to Britain, so a week ago Thursday, flight was at 7.30, I spent the morning painting my kitchen this exact color. <laughs> Go figure, eh? I think I like it. <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome. And for the pudding. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of the pulpit. And thank you for Luke 4.18 and letting me preach the way through it. May I read it yet again? Luke 4.18, that passage from Isaiah 61 that, that Jesus, I think, intentionally found in the scroll of Isaiah. That's open for conjecture. There's no way of knowing. You know, was it the reading of the day? It didn't, didn't usually work that way. It certainly, as we read the Gospels, it certainly played a very significant defining role in how Jesus understood and then conveyed his understanding of the Lord's call upon his life. He has anointed me. He sent me to announce good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the broken victims go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Over the course of this weekend, we'll be looking at this ministry mandate, the Lord's job description, if you will, looking at that power, that authority, that anointing that enabled him to heal the sick, and free the tormented. This session, a, a general broader consideration of what it means for the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us. How do we know when the Spirit is upon us? What, what do we expect should the Spirit, when the Spirit is upon us? And, and that's certainly because over the years, my expectations of the Lord's presence has certainly changed. I became a Christian in my late teen years, and uh, a couple of years before I started going to church, started going to a local Baptist church, and the sense of the presence of the Lord, even talking about the presence of the Lord, was not something we did at all just wasn't part of the expectation set. First church I served was in rural New Brunswick, small rural church, 50% unemployment, a real resistance to change. Uh, you're not going to see much of the presence of the Lord in that kind of atmosphere. That's just, if things, if the Lord makes himself known, things change. He just kind of works that. 
You ready? Can't expect the Lord to be present and things stay just as they are. Some of you got big, beautiful smiles. Bless your heart. <laughs> you better just take a deep breath right now. <laughs> Go, yes, Lord. Is that okay? Okay. While I was at Rockland Drive United Baptist Church, I got Brother Lawrence's beautiful little book, Practicing the Presence of God. If you haven't read that, find it. Go to the library. Dig that out. Beautiful little book that, that opened up that sense that, yeah, the Lord really does want to make himself known on an ongoing daily basis. Next church I served was First Baptist Niagara Falls, a very traditional Baptist church, high Baptist church. Architecturally, it was very long and narrow and the communion table was right up the far end. I would, would sit in the sanctuary for my morning prayers, empty sanctuary, early in the morning, and uh, used to sit sort of two-thirds of the way back where the majority of the congregation sat. And it was a long way to the front. And this was quite new for me, but I remember the Lord speaking not audibly, no, but that interior audible voice. Nobody else would hear it, wouldn't hear it with your ears, just that knowing in your heart. That sense, tell them that I'm closer than that. And I tried my hardest to do that. They just didn't really want him to be that close. Went from there to try to plant a church, and I'll spare you the very gory details. Spent two years working harder than I have ever worked at anything ever before or since. And uh, in the two years, I grew that church from 20 to 12. <laughs> and if I'd stayed, I know I could have got it to zero. I mean, I, di I didn't want to go, that's for sure. I have never, I don't, well, that's probably an overstatement. I so sensed the Lord's absence in the midst of all of that. And, uh, and I, the Lord was present in a wonderful way. I went back Tuesday night. They'd moved from the little um, industrial strip mall building that they used as a church. They'd rented the convention center. And Instead of 200, there were about six or 700 people. And it sure seemed like the inmates had taken over the asylum. I, I, I'd never seen or heard the likes. The, the, it was shambolic. The laughter, the crying, the shaking, bodies all over the floor. Um, it was wild. Um, was invited to a pastor's meeting the next day. And I almost didn't go. 
I mean, I, I was right on the edge thinking, I don't think so. We don't need more weird. I, I don't know. Have you got enough weird in church? Because I know of a lot of churches be glad to send you. You know, if you're down on your weird quotient. Randy Clark was the, uh, the, the, the one that the Lord used to uh, break things open through whom the Lord broke things open. Randy was trying to reflect on things. One of the most humble guys I've ever met. That was one of the reasons why I kept going, because you can fake a lot up here. You cannot fake humility. It is a supernatural grace. And, you know, to the spiritual discerner, it just has a sweet aroma. One of the things, you know, Randy said about the falling over was, you know, it just seems like it's too hard to stand up. Okay. We had a ministry time, and uh, I was on the floor, and this is really thin carpet, really cold concrete underneath, thinking this is one of the dumber things I have done with my life. I said, God, that wasn't you. I got pushed. I'm so tired, I'm just going to lie here a while if that's all right with you. Randy had said, before you get up, make sure you ask the Lord if he's done doing whatever he's doing. And so full of faith like I was, I said, you done? And I started to bawl. Not just a quiet tear, bawl for 40 minutes. No pictures, no memories. I wasn't seeing people from that core group of the failed. No cognitive content whatsoever. I wept with such intensity, my stomach muscles hurt for three days afterwards. In the midst of that time, my chest hurt so badly. I had to cry out because it literally felt like the Lord was tearing calloused layers from my heart. As in the Ezekiel 36, taking that stony heart and giving me a heart of flesh. When that was all over, I said, you done now? And the Lord spoke into my spirit a recommission that has really carried me since February 3rd, 1994. Got up off the floor. They introduced a couple of prophetic guys. I had never heard of them. They certainly did not know of me. One of them, Mark DuPont, kind of just talked a little bit about what the Lord was doing as he traveled. And he just looked at me, called me up. And he spoke over my life the one scripture verse that I had been hanging on to for the last, I don't know, three years. There are th over 37,000 verses of scripture. Picking the one that I had tied a knot into. Pretty good odds. Quite had my attention. What Whatever it was that was healed and restored, whatever it was that was imparted, 
whatever it was that was released that day and then certainly subsequently has worked in my life immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. Ninety-four, I had worked really hard at developing what I thought was a pretty impressive five-year plan. Charts, maps, pie things, mission mandate, mission philosophy. None of what I've done subsequently was on that five-year plan. It is so immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. You understand. Those early years at the airport, as I, as we, as hundreds of thousands, as millions of people experienced through the airport, Be it through the uncontrollable laughter. I sort of go, what, what was that about? Well, for many of us, myself included, it was just that, that most profound recognition that we took ourselves way too seriously and God not nearly seriously enough. And when you realize that, it, it is hysterical. What were we thinking? be it a, a drunkenness in the spirit, and there was no other way to describe it but being under the influence such that you were legless. Be it the intense weeping, be it the falling to the floor, be it the, the, the jerks. Early on, 95, I was invited to Dublin, and uh, the the host had heard me teach at the airport, but I had never met the host, so he knew who I was. I didn't know who he was. And it, it, this is early in my travel, and it's kind of weird to leave home and go to a place and not know who's picking you up. So I clear customs. I got my baggage. I'm looking out to see. You know, I expect somebody with a little card, you know, gee and and there's this six foot two guy going like, like this. Went, that's probably my. <laughs> it was, it was. You know, it, it. There were a lot of really strange things. I personally never heard any dogs barking. Let the record show. Did hear some lions roaring. Maybe we could talk about that sometime. Lots of really weird things. Enough to cause not God and I don't want it. Certainly from my past, I had no experiential grid to evaluate any of it. I mean, the only physical demonstration I ever saw of the Spirit's presence and power was if somebody should lean forward during the offering, take out their wallet and put something in the plate. You know, the Spirit was moving then. It wasn't 
part of my operative theology. It wasn't part of my theological foundation. That the Spirit's dynamic presence or the witnesses of the Spirit's dynamic presence wasn't what I had underlined in my Bible. You know, given what I'd been facing, the, the Psalms of Lament were underlined. Like Psalm 43, 5, how deep I am sunk in misery, groaning in my distress. That was underlined. Psalm 123, verse 3, show us your favor, O God. Word for favor in Hebrew is chanan. Means to stoop or to bend in kindness to an inferior. Same root, chana, derivative to describe the, the slanting rays that we see just before sunset as the clouds part and the sun shines through that, that breakthrough. Beautiful picture because this stooping of the Lord in kindness is not something we can initiate. It always comes from above. That picture of grace in breaking our gray hopelessness. You know, I had Psalm 123, a lament underline. I did not have Psalm 126 underlined, a psalm of restoration. What, 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 what do we expect? What, what will it look like when the Lord restores our fortunes? When the Lord renews our health? When the Lord fills our mouths with laughter? That's really a rather tame translation of the Hebrew. The sense is far more dynamic. It's more rams laughter down our throats because in the eternal purposes of, of God, there are no sad sacks in heaven. We've we got to cheer up before we get there. <laughs> Certainly in 94, I had to come to terms with the fact that um, a lot of my emotional, or my initial disdain had to do with my emotional makeup. I was raised by a father who really was, well, was raised in English boarding school and then the Royal Navy, and neither of those institutions are known for nurture. Um, nobody ever accused my dad of being in touch with his feminine side. My brothers and I were raised on a pretty simple litany. Big boys don't cry, stiff upper lip, worst things happen at sea, don't be a daisy. That was it. But reacting, responding to the presence of God was far more than my emotional makeup. I want to turn things four ways. First, I'm sure, is not new, but we need to establish it. There is a profound difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Omnipresent, God 
at all times in all places. There's no place where God isn't. As Martin Luther said 500 plus years ago, God is closer to everything and then anything is to itself. That's God's omnipresence. But his omnipresence, it's intangible. It's of really little immediate comfort. It's not a dynamic that really changes our lives. It's far more a statement of faith. But scripture is the record of personal encounter with this omnipresent God. This God who makes himself known continuously, who manifests his presence. The Bible is this chronicle of God making himself known to very ordinary men and women. In fact, if you were to take out of the scriptures all of the records of the times and the seasons when God has made himself manifest, you'd be left with the genealogies, with the book of Esther, with Proverbs, and with the book of Philemon. Now, you have to give much of the Proverbs back because their wisdom is personified and she comes to meet us. This theology of presence is what distinguishes Christian faith from other world religions. And the history of the church is this ongoing record of God's manifest presence. He himself coming to meet with his people. And he comes, if you will, not because he's lonely. Matthew 1, 21, he will save his people from their sins. That's why he comes, to restore, to heal, to redeem. The heart of God is to make right what we've made wrong. His gracious purpose to give us a new start to revive. We got a vive, a life that's been mashed and marred, and he wants to make all things new again. And he continuously comes, and it's his touch, his presence, that brings that newness yet again. Just to contrast it, the gospel is not the field of dreams. If you build it, he will come. The incarnation is God saying, ready or not, here I come. And as declared from the Bethlehem Major, we're never ready. Matthew 1.21 is a prophetic announcement of the birth of Jesus, God's ultimate presence. Well, Matthew 2, 6 declares how he comes, as a ruler to be shepherd. Now, that's the direct counterpoint of the world system. Not power, but compassion. And it's the compassion that we experience in the Lord's presence. The power of his love. And again, that's the contrast of the love of power. The 
when the Lord makes his presence known, there is always this new revelation of the power of his love at work, transforming our lives. Transforming because of this authority of care that he has over our lives. The second piece is that though most of us know all of that, we know it here. God's immediate presence means that our theology moves 18 inches. And it's rightly been said, that 18 inches is the hardest distance for theology to travel from head to heart. For all sorts of reasons, there are all manner of believers and churches that have heads full of knowledge and have pretty empty hearts. This experiential appropriation where, where we take up personally the things that we read of in Scripture. It's what happens as God makes known His presence to us. And so, you know, we were trying to process you know, being good Baptists. The Scripture is the sole final authority for all matters of faith and conduct. We wanted to see where this kind of experience lines up. And so, what about the falling? And it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, but Psalm 23, he makes me lie down. We didn't have green pastures. It was shabby gray carpet. But it wasn't so much the falling that was the issue. He makes me lie down, and he restores my soul. I will never forget the first Catch the Fire conference we did. 3,000 people gathered. We'd, we'd rented a local hotel. We'd have a session. We'd stack the chairs. We'd have ministry time. We prayed first off for pastors and for leaders. We wanted to bless them for all that they had given. I was praying for a pastor and his wife, and the pastor went down really very early. He's laid out beside me. I'm praying for his wife, and I feel this tug on my pant leg. I look down, and this guy's eyes are like this. He says, I said, it, it's okay, actually, it, it happens a lot. Just rest in the love of God. And I started to pray for his wife again. And there was this tug on my pant leg. He said, no, you don't understand. I can't get up. I go, I, I do understand. Just rest in the love of God. So I pray, and I thought he was going to pull my trousers off. <laughs> he said, I can't move. All I can move is my hand. And I said, do you think the Lord's trying to tell you something? And he just went, I finished praying for his wife, prayed for some other people. We all went out to lunch. We came back. We set up the chairs around him. <laughs> we had the second session. We stacked the chairs. We had ministry time around him. <laughs> we all went out for supper. We came back. We set up the chairs around him. We had the evening session. We stacked the chairs, had ministry time around him. The night guard people, cleanup folks, had to sort of drag him out, throw him in a taxi, and catch the fire as an annual conference. A year later, I walk across the foyer. I see this guy coming, and as he gets closer, I do this. <laughs> and he says, you do remember me. <laughs> he said, I want to thank you. 
When you ask, do you think the Lord's doing something, a yoke of striving broke from around my neck. And the Lord restored something. He said, this has been the best year of ministry I have ever known. The sense of the Lord's presence in the midst. He said, I've never worked harder, but I've never known the Lord's presence in the midst of this. He makes me lie down. Gets himself some stuff sorted. Brings that restoration. And then release. Well, there was, uh, there it was, there is in any revival, historic revival, the the accusation that revival is experientially based. That it's experience in search of a theology. Doesn't that sound grand? I'd, I'd way rather an experience in search of a theology than a theology in search of an experience. That's dead orthodoxy. It's interesting that the conservative evangelical who finds revival so difficult to deal with is glad to talk about their conversion experience. But they just kind of want to experience Jesus on the front end and then kind of live off of that for the rest of their lives. Mm, thank you. I, I, if there's more, please, Lord. Theology is biography. It is the record, the reflection of how God's manifest presence has impacted. Moses didn't sit down and think, I'm going to try and put together covenant theology. Probably do that in five books. Here we go. Saul didn't think, well, no, just to finish Moses. No, the Lord set a bush on fire and Moses turned to go see what that was all about. And up and out of that experience with the Lord came an understanding of covenant theology. Saul, the Pharisee, didn't come to the place where he goes, you know, this law business is a drag. I'm going to try grace for a while. Why don't we write about grace for a little bit? No, the Pharisee Saul was knocked off his high horse, struck blind, and God said, do you want to try things my way? And up and out of that came the reflections on grace. Well, that brings us to the third piece, scandal. I remember being in Motherwell, Scotland, and uh, just it was one of those meetings where when the bodies were all laid out, there was a lot of groaning taking place. People up in the fetal position, moaning and groaning. Very weird. The next day, the next morning, there was this young mom with a big baby in arms, and she was she said, I came to the meeting only to tell you, you are not a man of God. She said, I was here last night, and that groaning was repulsive. It was ugly. 
God is beautiful and he does not do ugly things. You did nothing to stop that. You're not a man of God. I said, thank you very much. It was a I checked with the Lord because it felt a little bit cheeky. Because I said, is that your baby? She said, yes. I said, it's a beautiful baby. How old? Nine months. I said, that's a big baby. So I just wonder if in the process of delivering that baby, you might have looked a little bit like the kind of groaning that was taking place last night. Because in the moment of the delivery, it might not have looked beautiful to the outsider, but you sure are holding beautiful fruit. She didn't get that at all, didn't go there at all. She just left mad. Maybe a little while before we discern, we can discern what it is the Lord is birthing in and through us certainly realize that wisdom does not judge what it does not understand. And before we pass judgment, we sure better hear the testimony. And that's why John Arnott did such a brilliant job stewarding all that God was calling forth. Because time and again, he would call people up after the fact and say, what was Jesus doing in your heart? Didn't talk about what was the outward sign, be it the groaning or the falling or the flipping or the flopping, what's Jesus doing in your heart? See, as we read the book, God factors way more scandal into our working equations than most of us are comfortable with. Scandal on the Greek word that we translate stumbling block is one of the names of Jesus. But we don't see it on the banners. You know, Lion of Judah, Prince of Peace, Light of the World, Scandal. Just doesn't get embroidered, funnily enough. I mean, 2,000 years ago. Why 2,000 years ago in terms of the long chronicle of history? Why then? Why Bethlehem? Well, you can find a few prophetic references. Why Mary? There were presumably other virgins in Israel at the time. That's a joke. It's not the only one. Theologically, that's the scandal of particularity. Particular times, particular places, particular people. Why them? Why then? Why there? God's choice. God's sovereign choosing. There is, in terms of experiencing and responding to the presence of God, that declaration in 1 Peter 5, 5, God sets his face against the proud. He gives grace to the humble. There is in the Lord's heart a very, very high value on humility. Dignity doesn't go well. 
Ecclesiastes 10.6, fools set themselves in dignity, just in case you're taking notes. I was in Peter Maritzburg, South Africa. And as it turned out, was to pray for this pastor who was standing there like this. He might as well have been wearing a sign that said, I dare you. And, you know, that really encourages your faith. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who goes, okay, man, we're going to go here. So I'm, he's literally standing. Oh, he's not standing like this. He's standing like this because he's not going to be pushed over. And he hasn't got his eyes closed. He, so, I mean, he's standing there like this staring at me. About three inches taller than I am, so I'm looking up. And I, and I, again, it was a little bit cheeky, but I did a one of these. You can't see it. Just stand up for a second. Just because I'm not, I'm not going to play the intimidation game. So he's staring right at me. So I did this. <laughs> not this, this. <laughs> and I'm praying, Lord, is there anything you want me to speak over this guy's life? And I got a, a, a sense, and I literally backed off, and I looked at the floor and said, Lord, this is what I think I heard you say. Is this what you want me to speak to the guy? And the Lord said, yes. And it was such a strange word. I checked in one more time. You want me to tell this guy this now? And the Lord said, yes. And I said, well, for what it's worth, it seems to me that the Lord takes you way less seriously than you take yourself. And I stepped back. <laughs> this guy went, and I could see his lips move. The Lord takes you way less seriously than you take yourself. And he scowled. He clenched his teeth. And he said it one more time. The Lord takes you way less seriously than you take yourself. And then he snorted. And then he dropped to the floor. And then he was in hysterics for two hours. And when he finally got up off the floor, that, that whole, his whole demeanor had changed, that, that heaviness, that antagonism, the, the hardness, gone. Just this, this radiance, this freedom of spirit, this beautiful countenance. He said, thank you for bringing that word. I know it wasn't easy. Thank you for being faithful. That's one of the things about the presence of God. It's, 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 it's certainly nothing we can conjure. Nothing. It's not us. It's not a word that I'd make up for that guy, that's for sure. First Corinthians 1.29 Paul says, There is therefore, and we'd have to back up for the why the therefore is there. There is no place for any human pride in the presence of God. And unless there is that willingness on our part to divest ourselves of any of that togetherness that we work so hard to maintain, we may well have set our face such that God can't reveal his face to us, won't reveal his face to us.
Well, with, with that much in hand, let me just turn things a wee bit because uh, as I've traveled these 15, eight, whatever it is, 15, 16 years, the, the vast majority of my hosts, bless their hearts, have been desperate for the presence of God, desperate to, to see the Lord move, to, to see him bless his people. Wonderful, heartfelt, godly desire, longing, but I wouldn't want to number the times when these very well-meaning hosts have really clumsily mashed things at the end of a meeting. Because they have it in their heads that ministry time should look a special way. They really feel like we've got to Stack all the chairs. We've got to put tape on the floor. We've got to line everybody up. We've got to have ministry team down. Boom, 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 boom. And then if it doesn't go that way, then we haven't had the ministry time and the Holy Spirit can't come because that's the way the Holy Spirit kept coming. Feeling that, that I haven't orchestrated... As the speaker, I haven't orchestrated what needed to get done in order to facilitate the Holy Spirit's coming. Every time that happens, I think of that verse in Ezekiel 34:19. My flock has to graze on what you have trampled underfoot and drink what you have muddied. Because what has happened there is habituation. We've developed this ministry of presence habit. What we've done is leaned on what was, not what is. What, what was happening was we did stack the chairs because there were just so many people around. And the Lord was so graciously moving, we needed all the space we could get. And we put tape on the floor just to bring some sort of order, not because there was something special about the tape. People were falling all over everywhere. We just wanted to try to make it as safe a place as we could. I mean, quite literally, there were people who, when nobody was looking, stole the tape. You know, they took it home and they stuck it on their floor and they'd stand on it, you know, because... People are weird. They really are weird. I'm, I'm absolutely, you know. What must be discerned is, is, is what is the Spirit calling forth now? And we respond to that. Doesn't, please, yesterday's anointing, was for yesterday's ministry. What is the Lord calling forth, pouring forth now? See, what, what these well-meaning hosts have failed to do is, is to have a look and see how the Spirit of God has been at work during the preach. Because it's very disruptive to stack all the chairs. If there are folks already on their knees, there are folks already on their faces, 
if there are folks just sitting in their seats, very much dealing with what the Lord is calling forth. Why would you want to mess all of that up to stack the chairs and get everybody up front to receive ministry? <laughs> Holy Spirit has said, ministry team, you can have the night off. I'll do this all by myself. Thanks very much. And we want to help. Oops. You know, it's, it, I think, I'm pretty sure it, what the Lord purposes is not word then spirit. Word and spirit. And if we'll attend, he'll be very much at work healing, restoring, redeeming, releasing in and through the preaching of his word. Now, that's not to say that we then don't give opportunity and help facilitate what the Spirit yet further wants to work, be it through the worship, or it may well be a time when we do invite folks forward. But in his grace, there are certainly times when we don't need to do any inviting because he's already very much at work. And we best just let be. Because that, in terms of the Lord's presence, it's nothing for us to do. He is present by nature. In that then, we cannot take a single breath and God not be present. In the darkest, hardest, leanest times, remember that. Just take a really deep breath and remember that that very breath is God loving life into you. That if he withdrew his presence, you would have no breath. As in, you'd be dead. And, and so you might want to just take a deep breath now. And maybe say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. You are the author and the giver of life. Because most of us live breathing from about here to here. Musicians might breathe from here to here. But the fullness of life is breathing from down here. And just, just, just try it for a moment. Just take a really deep belly breath and say, Thank you, Lord. And even in that single breath, do you not touch something of the Lord's peace? S something of a release from the tension, the stress, the aggro that you're presently carrying? Going, I don't know, try another breath. another deep breath 
reminding yourself that that breath is a gift from God, gift of life, life redeemed, life restored. Thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to de-spook this for you. Because you, you know by now we can't live in the meetings. The Lord purposes, Brother Lawrence was right, for us to practice the presence of God. Practice breathing. Throughout the day, take a deep belly breath. Say, thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. For loving life into me. And receive more of the peace that he purposes for you. That peace that passes understanding. How many of you are facing some stuff you cannot figure out? Just doesn't make sense. Is it okay with you that God does more in your life than you can understand? wants to work into your life a larger legacy than you will ever probably fully know. If you're not so sure, flip that around. Do you only want God to do that which you can comprehend? You want to limit it. Some of you aren't sure. Bless your hearts. That, that deep belly breath. Remind yourself that the Lord of life purposes for us joy unspeakable. Do a little Bible study on the number of times we're called to rejoice in the Lord. To shout for joy. That's fairly explicit. You know, shout for joy doesn't is praise you, Jesus. That that doesn't count as a shout for joy. That's a pathetic shout for joy. This this would take us. You know that verse in, in Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We tra- usually translate that that as a dative. The joy that the Lord gives us is strength for us. But it could be translated as a genitive. The joy that is the Lord is strength. Not not the joy that he gives, but when we find ourselves in him, he is by nature joy, and therefore in him we can't but be joyful. And in that deep, belly breath, that recognition. What am I so flipping wound up about? He's not fussed. Why should I be? And, and, and with the belly breath, you might just try a half grin. Don't shock your face. Do not try a whole grin. Who knows what might happen. Just a half a grin. Don't take stuff so seriously. Take him more seriously. He is joy. It's 
Some of you are saying, you have no idea what I'm facing. I don't. He does. He's not fussed. How can he be loving if he's not fussed? He's big. Really big. And even in the midst of all of the aggravation, he is working immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Hope starts to rise up. And with that hope, a measure of freedom. All of that good stuff, peace and joy and hope, starts to revive something of our souls. Isn't it kind of God to make it so simple that, that things for us begin to ch turn with the simplest of words? Thank you. Just so we're all, would you all just say a quiet little thank you, Lord? Anybody here incapable of saying those words? So it's a choice. It's a choice that we make. Fourth thing I want to cover as we're nearly done. Living in the presence of God is not a magic happy pill. If that's what you're after, there's Prozac. Talk to Dr. Darren, maybe he can write you a little prescription. The presence of God does not mean that we live life in an insulated bubble that lets us float through life unscathed. We could go to the stilling of the storm. The disciples are freaked. Now we can cut the tax collectors a little slack. They're thinking, I never should have left my desk. This is dumb. I can't swim. But the professional fishermen are freaked. The lot of them are in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there. They can reach out and touch him. If they did, they would wake him up. He's not fussed. They do wake him up, and they ask, Do you not care? Not their most faith-filled moment. They are living in the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus, and they're asking, where's the bubble? And from the peace that is within Jesus, he brings peace to that which is out. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And that which is within is to transform that which is without. He rebukes the wind and the waves and brings peace to that which is in turmoil. The greater stilling of the storm is what happens in the disciples' hearts. Because they're in more turmoil than the sea is. That's the mystery of the presence. 
this invitation to ignore the storms of our lives, the stormy circumstances of our lives, and to fix our eyes on him and enter his rest. Because that is the good news. We are invited to live in his presence. Jesus says in John 15, 4, Abide in me as I in you. Now, if you read the NIV, the word abide can easily be translated as remain. That's fine. Abide, remain in me. But the NIV constructs it slightly differently and says, and I will remain in you. And at least to my ear, to my eye, that looks like a conditional. That reads to me as if Jesus is saying, if you'll abide in me, then I'll abide in you. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is making a categorical declaration. I abide in you. And then he extends the invitation. Now, you abide in me. To my mind, there's a world difference in those two. His purpose, again, is to love life into us. That's his job. That's his purpose. The invitation is that we receive all that he purposes by way of that restoration. And that comes through our abiding in him as he is abiding in us. It means we keep breathing. And we keep saying, thank you, Lord. Jamie, would you come? I don't know how many times. The end of a meeting when the Spirit of God was doing so many really weird things with people. And there were bodies all over, and there was laughter, and there was weeping and shaking and pogoing and jerking and all. There, the, invariably, there'd be, still be somebody standing, and I'd check in with them at the end of the night, and it all, sometimes tears in their eyes. And they look at me and they go, all I got was peace. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Peace in the midst of all that's going on is a supernatural grace. Tonight's Friday night. There are all sorts of people doing all sorts of things, desperate to try and find some release from all that they're facing. Would kill to know something of peace. We, we, we need to be very careful. Do there have to be bodies all over and people doing really weird things for us to say, oh, the Lord was present in the house. Or if something of that peace is established deep in our hearts, can we with the same zeal say, oh, the Lord was in the house. 
He's restored my soul. Take a moment. Think about what you're most desperately trying to hang on to. What it is you're afraid of losing. You might even see that in your hand. It might be the exact opposite. That thing that as try, hard as you try, you cannot let go of cannot seem to get rid of, get loosed from. You've got that one thing in mind. I'm going to take a deep breath. Remind yourself that the Lord right now purposes to love life into you. To make the power of his love known to you. As you do so, open your hand. Receive the grace that he has for you this night. Allow him to be in control of that thing that you've been so desperate to try to hang on to. Receive the authority of his care over that thing. Let him take it from you. Let him work release whatever it is that holds you. Take another deep breath. Receive his peace. Let him restore your soul. Allow a thank you to rise up from deep within. Another thank you. So you remind yourself that it's to him to work out the details. Spirit, we do thank you that you are ever at work in our midst, in our lives, redeeming, restoring, and making all things new. We thank you that you purpose us to know more peace more joy, more love. 
freedom. say the best yes that we can to all that you're calling for. And so we give you our worship. Pray even as we lift your name on high, Jesus. You'd continue to be stirring our hearts, healing our hearts, setting us free, filling our lives with yours. Jesus, we bless your holy name. 